Good afternoon and well to find out recovery. Good afternoon, Carl. Yes, we are expecting Ronnie. Ronnie's arrival is imminent, but traffic has intervened, as it often does. And he just wants to make a fashionable entrance. Well, he wants to be fashionably late, yes. But there's also the fact that the traffic and just how damned inconvenient it is is perfect subject matter for him. Yeah, of course, being in the heart of Digbeth where we are, there is an endless amount of roadworks and rerouting at the minute for the metro. Oh, special roadworks. Yeah, the special roadworks that don't really need to be there, that they've only put in just to annoy you. And those huge roadworks that have been going on for ages, and all you can see is a couple of new bus stops. Yeah. Wondering, how the hell did this happen? We've got a couple of extra bus stops here. I do think, though, it's immensely frustrating, all of this, because it's, it's not just about what it's like for drivers, it's about what it's like on a bus. What's the age-old saying? Birmingham, it'll be nice when it's finished. <laughs> Absolutely. I saw this thing in the, in the press, and it was circulated around most of the press, about how bus fares aren't changing whatever yeah. because of the two quid fare that's been rolled out and they're going to maintain it and aren't the buses great and the mayor is there saying there's never been a better time to get on a bus now my response to that would be if the fucker turns up yeah actually if you've got an hour to spare because of traffic getting into town <laughs> don't get on a bus if you're physically infirm because half the time you've got to stand exactly and carry whatever you're carrying. And also, it's kind of like playing Tetris, because as soon as someone wants to get off, yeah. you've got to move this way and that to allow the person to get through the puzzle that's at the front of the bus. And sometimes you end up taking a bus that you don't even want, just because you know it's going vaguely near where you live. Exactly. And you could be waiting for half an hour for the next one. I got stranded the other night. I was on my way back from the theatre, and the, the 11 should have turned up at quarter to 11, and it didn't. Now, there was a connecting 17 for that, yeah. but there wasn't for the following number 11. So I landed at Swan Tesco at 25 past 11, wow. knowing that there was no bus until 10 to 12. I thought, well, no, I'm going to wait for the bus. I'm not going to be really stupid because I've been out all day. Mm. I've been doing this, that and the other all day and I need to stop. And so I decided, no, I'm going to wander around Tesco's for 10 minutes, then go up to the bus stop and get the bus at 10 to 12. And then I'm not going to rush straight in and think, right, I've got to go to bed now because I need to wind down for half an hour. And because I haven't got to get up on Sunday morning, I'm just going to slightly recalibrate all my timing. And even then, I'm there thinking, it's all because of this frigging bus. Because actually, if the bus had turned up in the first place, then I would have got home at 20 past 11 and I wouldn't have the problem with the times. Of course, not to dig out any particular route or area, but those 11 links in ACOT screen at the minute seem to be really bad. I've had trouble and I know a lot of people that are having trouble with the 11 link, you know. It's not usually that bad at night. Well, they've split it as well now, haven't they? Oh, they split the route, yeah. yeah. And that was confusing for a time and, it, and I suppose... It probably still looks confusing in ACOT screen because of where it stops and where it starts yeah. again. But it is incredibly annoying to be reading these news reports saying there's never been a better time to get on a bus. Yeah. When I'm thinking, well, hang on, how come it took me an hour and a half to get home then? And how come I'm frequently waiting for something that probably isn't coming? And how safe is it for people to be waiting at stops that aren't well lit? Because many of the stops are not well lit. 
And if you're connecting from one bus to another and you've got to wait half an hour for the connecting bus, now for some people that's probably a bridge too far, isn't it? Yeah. And also with all these extra extended roadworks they've put in around here, it means that you don't really want to go into town to get the bus because it takes half an hour to get out of town. Yeah. It's a nightmare. I mean, they cut like three lanes off, just sounds like they can put a fucking cut a hedge. Cut a hedge? Cut a hedge, yeah. Were they actually cutting the hedge or were they just discussing the idea? They were sitting in the van doing nothing. Were they talking about cutting the hedge though, do you think? think? I think they were talking about what they're going to have for lunch. I haven't got a presentment. They've probably not got as far as talking about the hedge. No, that was probably the next thing on the agenda after a cup of tea and talking about what they're going to have for lunch. I have a slight resentment at the moment around the last three Saturdays I've been into Birmingham City Centre. Dear God, you were glutton for punishment. I know, and I understand the Palestine situation at the moment. However, every Saturday for the last three weeks, they've done a protest march, and they're not sticking to the pavement. They're walking on the main road, and it's then taking your bus an hour and a half to wait for the procession until it can pick you up. It's like roadblocks getting out of town. I still think you've got to ask about how it's being managed, if it's being allowed to do that. Well, there's that many of them, the police don't even try and manage it. Well, there aren't enough, are there? No. Because, of course, the only time that you see a really expanded police presence is if the politicians are having a conference or if there's a particularly troublesome football fixture. Yeah. But even with particularly difficult football fixtures, it's not like it used to be. Mm. They used to be lined all the way up the road. Yeah. But you don't see it so much, and also with the nature of marches like that, I suppose the police haven't got the manpower that they once had. The volume of roadworks we've got at the moment means that anything is going to disrupt traffic. Because Birmingham is a very big city, but if you look at that kernel round the bull ring, Mm -hmm. there's not exactly enough in the way of road anyway, is there? They've been coming down the Moore Street, Queensway, whatever it's called, from where like the colleges and the back of the Oasis and then coming round and like L-shaping down past Moore Street. Yeah. And then but the other the huge problem in terms of that is fucking HS2. Yeah. Which isn't even going beyond Birmingham. No, it's not. How much space is it taking up at the side of Moore Street Station? A It's like, what are they doing? Building a space station there or something? It's enormous, the amount of land. Yeah. And it's not going up to Manchester or wherever. It's just serving London. It's the biggest farce ever, that pace. Well, it's coming to here, and, of course, all those flats, those blocks of flats that have sprung up, they're all for people who work in London to use HS2, aren't they? I think they're in a predicament now, though, where it's a bit of a catch-22 situation because they've spent so much on it already, so they can't really back out of it now mm. without being no. slated. So they've got to see it through now, no matter what the cost is. They're not seeing it through, really, because it's not going up north. Mm. And the amount of money they'd spent, they could have improved the whole rail network for the whole country with that. I want to know where all that money's gone. All they've done is done a bit of building, and they've spent tens of billions, well, actually. Laying down some track, it's all legalities and stuff like that. I know a friend of mine works as a contractor for HS2, and he said it's absolutely ridiculous. He loves it. He says, you, you know, most people aren't doing anything. They're sitting around all day yeah. getting paid for it. And then they just go home afterwards. And he says that it's been like that for years. If they're so disorganised that they can't give him anything to do, then fair enough, pay him. It's about organisation, again. 
And actually, there's something faint and hilarious, isn't it, about three people in recovery sitting there talking about bad organisation on the part of someone else. Well, just <laughs> <thinking>. <laughs> when I think, I think of not being able to organise a piss up in a brewery, you know. I'm, I'm thinking we've started this week's pod on a very cheery note, haven't we, all of a sudden? Yeah. <laughs> I'm being critical of the organisation <laughs> practised by someone else when... My organisational skills were somewhat lacking for yeah. quite a long time. There's another section in the big book where it's like the Florida man that lolls in the sunshine and complains about the weather in England. It's this, because I'm not involved, I'm not part of it, I can look at it and think, oh dear God, what are they doing? And there's part of me that wants to be indignant about that. Mm. I want to be, well, I wouldn't make a mess of it like that. And perhaps I wouldn't, but it's a very alcoholic thing. Yeah. to be looking at someone else's organisation and well, picking f- holes in it. It's what football fans do with their clubs and their managers yeah. all the while, and it slag them off, and then it's like, well, could you do any better? Well, that's as big as the sport itself, isn't it? Yeah. Armchair management. Exactly. I mean, I must admit, I think the stuff with Birmingham at the moment is hilarious. It is. I was there because last night. So it's a little less hilarious from my point of view, but I know what you're saying. Well, and bear in mind, I'm a Sheffield Wednesday fan, so I'm doing a lot worse than you are. <laughs> well, marginally worse. We've won a couple of games. But it's looking at Rooney, who doesn't seem to have any plan, so far as I can see. And yet, while he doesn't seem to have any plan, the people above him don't seem to either. And it's this constant runaround of people saying, oh, give him a chance, and other people saying... No, 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 get rid of him. And all these things being said, even though every football club's solution, time and time again when things are going wrong, is to either spend money or sack the manager. That's the only solution they seem to have, Mm -hmm. football club boards. They they don't seem to practice creative solutions. Because there might well be a creative solution you could practice with Rooney that might get better out of him. Yeah, I think the policy at the minute... He's got a way he wants to play, but the players can't play that way, so they're on about in the January window, letting him bring a couple of lads in and then judging him. Okay. At that point, that's kind of the policy at the moment. Oh, there is a policy? Yeah. We don't generally have policies at Sheffield Wednesday, I don't think. We just sort of go along aimlessly as we have ever since we got relegated from the Premiership. (laughs) I think armchair management is a great thing to call out, though. Because it's something that, in recovery, we're all quite guilty of, provided we admit it. Because I think people do it around meetings. Yeah. I think people do it around recovery. And I think people do it around the organisations they work for in recovery too. Yeah. And that's it. Isn't that just a normal human thing, though? Or is that, do you reckon it's not? It is a normal human thing, but I think the way that we latch on to it isn't the ordinary human thing. We will create, well, me, talking for myself can create some massive real bad resentments against the way so I suppose having heightened instincts and stuff like that we don't resolve the situation in our heads as quickly as maybe a normal person would we are given the tools and the tools seem to be none of your business do your part and that's it that's all you pay that's all you pay we can also all. get unduly indignant or angry about things like that when we don't need to I mean, in my experience, it's not generally the kind of thing that makes people relapse. But I have seen people get inordinately angry or judgmental or indignant or whatever about things that don't really matter. 
and about things that aren't their concern. Mm. You know, you'll see someone coming screaming out of being in a shop because the shop assistant was incompetent. That's what an alcoholic does, yeah. not what a normal person does. Uh, yeah. For a normal person to do that, they must have been treated badly mm-hmm. by the assistant. For an alcoholic to do that, no, they don't need to be treated badly at all. No. They just need to perceive. Perceive. And this is it, isn't it? Because I was in a meeting recently and it was, it was just the funniest thing ever because the guy said you can have an argument with someone in your head that can build up into you, you want to kill them. And it can go over yeah. and over and over. And they might have them walk past you the next day and you'll put your hand up and go, Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, and I completely related to it because it's really scary what can happen. I can perceive that somebody said or done something wrong to me. And that, if I don't get to grips with that, and I've had it really have an effect on the days, weeks, months, and years to come if you don't get it sorted. Because that small little thing, I will then only look out for what I perceive as a negative thing which could be possibly directed at me and it all goes into a big massive pot and you forget everything else and suddenly this person is out to kill you. When they walk past I know that my head will always tell me you do know Ronnie there is a a small percentage of doubt in your mind that this isn't happening and usually that small percentage is is the right thing do you know what I mean it's like well Yeah. yeah. Resentments in recovery are the biggest killer, and I think... Resentments around people, the way that if we perceive that something is wrong and we build up this whole internal picture, yeah, the internal infernal, which we take home and project into arguments in the shower or against the wall, the times that we win, <laughs> and then every time we see that person, we suddenly change mm-hmm. in the way that we feel, in the way that we are physically, in the way that we are mentally because it has such a hold. It's like the free rent space in your head, isn't it? Yeah, yeah of course. If you want to rent them a room in your house, don't rent them a space in your head. And the five-year rule, if it ain't going to matter in five years, don't give it more than five minutes of your time. I've seen people's recoveries derailed over mm. things like that. I remember hearing about this incident where someone put someone else's step four on the Facebook. Now, that is the kind of thing that could send anyone... Oh, yeah in the wrong direction however someone having a petty argument over who took someone's cheesecake that leading to a relapse it's not about the cheesecake it's not about the person it's about the perception of the person who felt that they'd been so wronged over one piece of cheesecake and the person perceived this as so wrong that it went from being a small ant that they didn't notice to Godzilla lurking round the corner of every door they opened. It therefore conditions that person's reactions and interactions with everybody else. And suddenly they've got a shit stick with them, (laughs) picking up every resentment along the way. And like someone doing the old-fashioned litter picking in a park with a metal stick, they've got a whole load of them, and they're all feeding off each other. And this has all come from one bit of cheesecake. But it's that validation, isn't it? I'm right. Yeah, we love the validation, and then the more little things we can find to add to that and validate it even more, we're just like, yeah, latch on, latch on. It, it backs my case, yeah. It's hard being around people. I used to blame people for their problems if if they're not following a program. My head would be like, this person doesn't follow a program, that's why they're being like this. But then if I'm following my 
program, but my simple rules that were set for me to be able to cope in life because I couldn't before. 12 little rules. And if I was doing my 12 rules properly, then you know that shouldn't really affect me. And that used to always back me. I always felt like I was being backed into a corner. It's very it's difficult that though, Ronnie, because when we're going to any length, you know, when we're trying to do all the right things, and we're faced with a situation where it's someone that we wouldn't choose to deal with, but we have to deal with, mm. is taking the piss. It's very difficult not to be judgmental, and it's very difficult not to get angry. And that's why, of course, we have to have support in place in dry houses. Because if you've got one person that just takes the piss out of the whole process, of course the other three in the house are going to want to kill them. Yeah. That, in part, is human nature. It's just magnified because they're alcoholics and addicts. Of course. But if you've got one person that's just flagrantly refusing to do the required, then it's understandable that people would get upset. I think we have to learn how to manage mm. being upset mm -hmm. by stuff like that and how to cope with people behaving like that. Because normally behave like that too. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. But when it's in your face and you're actually learning how to cope yourself, very difficult not to judge. And then you get people saying, oh no, it doesn't affect me at all. And as soon as they're behind the door in their room, the voodoo doll is there. And it's out and out come the spikes. Oh no, it doesn't affect me. Little do they know. I have a plan. No, I think it's crucial that you talk about the resentment thing as a relapse thing because also the unstructured nature of Christmas and New Year makes it a place that is very ripe with resentment or yeah. potential resentment and the fact that we perhaps deal with people that we wouldn't normally deal with of course. and that we are doing things we wouldn't normally do we're engaged in processes we don't normally know and with all of that there's more chance of us picking up resentment I think if we're doing what we're doing and we're doing the right things, we're quite structured about the way we live. Whereas Christmas and New Year is unstructured. Yeah, it is unstructured and it is difficult, like you said, because you know, if I go into an event and I can see one person that craves all the attention and I want to be the loudest in the room, it's that person that gives me a resentment. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, it can plow my mind and, and I just don't like it for some reason. It's obviously something I haven't worked on people that crave attention and it's in my face and they have to be the loudest and the one that's if they're not seen and heard they make a point of it those are the people that can get my back up it's funny i still go ballistic about american spelling the z still. instead of the s's it's not like it turns into a huge big thing it's just always off again it isn't that big because i've learned how to manage it and get rid of it and i've learned how to shout it out my system where necessary because it's one of those things you do with your inventory at the end of the day, however you do it. Because the way I do mine will bring up stuff like that and I get rid of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think the way it looks to everybody else, if I get aerated by those things, my level of annoyance is not commensurate with the thing itself. Yeah. Whereas if I'm getting annoyed about someone who's really, really done something out of order, then everybody watching it thinks, of course he's angry, anyone would be angry. Whereas if it's about two misspellings in a programme and I'm stomping round going, how fucking dare they? I mean, that looks very different. Because I think, why is he getting so upset about that? 
because my barometer isn't the same as a normie's. Would you say that's one of your most irrational pet peeves, or do you have any others? I've got many. Like with anything else, it's more about how I manage them. I can't stand people that linger on the pavement. Yeah. When I'm trying to get somewhere I want to go, people that are not walking, and they're on the pavement, and they're sort of going, and you're trying to walk past them, and they're taking up the whole four feet of pavement because they can't decide where they're going to go. And when I eventually get round them, I'm sounding like Motley going. <laughs> but of course I can get rid of that. Of course. So long as I clock it, either as it's happening, straight after it's happened or later on. And I think it's important that I keep doing that because otherwise I could become a ball of unnecessary annoyance over a handful of things that happen in one week. Yeah. And that's without having anything genuinely to be resentful about. What about stuff we have genuine reason to be resentful about? It's quite a difficult one, isn't it? Because somebody's deliberately gone out of their way to make my life mm. hard. If someone goes out of their way deliberately to make my life hard, no matter how well I practice the programme, I'm bound to look for a resentment if yeah. someone treats me like that. Therefore, what process do I have in place for things like that? Because I can easily process stuff that I know is all me. If it's half and half with me and another person, dead easy, I clear my side of the street. But if it's all them, because the biggest one I had to deal with from step four mm -hmm. was a situation where I was blameless. The only thing I did in that situation was I was there. Whereas in recovery, when I've had things like that happen, I've been very angry to begin with, but then I've looked at what to do about it. So I had a couple of situations like that. And it was a case of, well, if you wasn't so badly inebriated or so badly off your tits, would have you have been there? And for me, I wouldn't have been there. So what if there. it happened tomorrow? Revenge is sweet. What would you do if it happened? Um, and you knew you were angry and with good reason? I think I'd probably try and highlight to the person exactly what they've done, but they already know what they've done anyway. If they've gone out of their way to do it, it's really difficult because I'd need to find some ammunition. I'd need to find some facts and stuff to myself so depending on the situation itself my response to all of that is just like what can I actually do about it yeah. and also am I responsible for doing anything about this because this is someone who's going to do it mm. left right and centre to I mean, everybody if it's, a, if it's a work thing when you can go to your, your yeah absolutely your volunteer or whatever it is that you do there's always probably someone that you can mention it to bottom line is you talk to your sponsor yeah and you need yeah. to talk to at least one person about it Definitely, just to give yeah. yourself some ob objectivity. And not to your best pal. No. Because they'll co-sign anything you do. They'll say, yeah, let's get some balaclavas and go around the house before you know it. And a lot of the time as well, when you talk to that other person, they'll give you an outside point of view. And it might just be our thinking, do you know what I mean? It's just being totally rational. And they might say, actually, do you know what? You've built that up into something it's not necessarily, yeah, they'll give you that outside point of view that can be a bit rational sometimes. But I think, in terms of when I've had resentments with people, I tend to bring it back to that would you rent them a room in your house yeah. sort of thing and not giving them that power. If I take the power out of it, even if they don't necessarily deserve it, forgiving them in my head or just totally erasing that from yeah. my head and eradicating them, like maybe not seeing them anymore if I have to then I take back the power and it, it doesn't have a hold over me anymore, which is, is something I've been massively into ever since I, I got into recovery because I don't let 
my substances have a hold over me anymore so if I could break that then mm. nothing has to have a hold over me anymore yeah. Yeah. and if I let someone give me resentment I'm giving them power and mm. I don't want to give them power and I think that's right as well isn't you're coming to recovery and like you say you, you know you let go you don't need anything or anyone to have a hold or power over you you know I don't have to live with somebody else renting space in my head as you put it yeah. and not paying the rent yeah. and smashing the house up at the same time you can fall into it can't you of course and I don't blame anyone when they do because I can see how it happens it's one of the most painful things to watch someone being destroyed like that when there's absolutely no need for it anyway as it is the time of year what do we have planned for 2024 well Wednesday I'm going out with a few pals we're going for a bit of food it's actually been put on a, on a whatsapp group and already I'm thinking to myself do I really want to go the reason why I'm thinking about whether I want to go is because of behaviours I feel like I'm going round and round about but I recently went out with this same bunch and it was just apparent that some people just they've got their their behaviours their what defects of character whatever you want to call them are just oozing out of them so what you're saying is that some of these people perhaps aren't well this goes back into what I was saying about resentment to begin with I found it very hard to be compassionate towards people around me in early recovery who weren't doing the work. Because I was doing it, these people around me that were obviously unwell because they weren't doing the work, I found it really difficult to be compassionate. It took me a great deal of time to get to that. And also, Ronnie, in the light of the situation you're talking about, that is a situation which I would generally avoid. Yeah, the problem I have is that there's a very thin line between love and hate, isn't there? And it's like, I do normally get on with the people, the good side, and although the good side seems to be shrinking and the ego seems to be growing like a fucking like God knows what. And it's like, well, that's what happens when we don't engage with look at me, look at properly. me, look at me type people. And it's like, and I'm trying to keep friendships going. Is there any reason why they're saying look at me? If they've done something momentous or. No. They've achieved nothing. The only thing yeah. we can achieve in recovery, the most important thing is sobriety, isn't it? It's, it's no, I'm just wondering if one of them like got a job or, or... Are they early days? We're talking early days recovery. Two years. Okay, see, early days you can maybe half understand. We start feeling a million dollars and we start projecting that out. Yeah, fluffy two, cloud. Two years yeah. in, it should have calmed down a little bit. Uh, but more. people doing different things and starting new ways and stuff, but it seems to be that that is the, the conversation from start to finish. That's it sounds about. to me, Ronnie, like this is something that you want to be a recovery event, but that it's less a recovery event because there are people who aren't really practicing but it's just like some in particular people will just make that whole evening about them and it grates on me and i don't want to cause arguments and stuff so i grin and bear it all the and way there's also it. this thing about i'm defined by the company i keep yeah, and if i choose to keep certain people in recovery in close company i choose that for a reason I think the difficulty with going through rehab with people is that we all end up taking different paths, or many of us do. And someone that you've known for, say, three years or, or whatever, who you started the journey with, 
they may have been going round in a circle like a hamster chasing its tail for the last two years while you've been getting on with it mm. and that can make things difficult yeah and for me it's not a journey it's it, you know there's a journey in recovery but my people the people that i stick with for me are at the journey in life recovery isn't a chapter it's pretty much involved throughout the whole of the book and I'm quite selective over who I keep as friends and stuff like that you can tell can't you who's, who's good and who's not good and I suppose it's just trying to find the middle place where there's a couple of them that are absolutely more than happy to go with but unfortunately at the same time others will be there as much as I've got love for them at the minute I'm looking at them just you are sick to the core mate yeah. <laughs> so what do I do in that situation I, I don't know but I feel thinking like that I'm already putting a damper on the start to 2024 I don't think you are I think you're just trying to deal with a situation that has arisen and it is a difficult one because really you want to just go out and see those couple of people yeah but the gathering is being more determined by a piece of history that you're not defined by you're not defined by the fact that you know these people from the beginning or early in the journey you're defined by what you do now yeah. And you and the other two people are obviously defined by what you do now, but what you don't need is these extraneous sick people. And it may be that you have to let some of them go. And, and I don't think that's putting it down on 2024. I think that's actually all about turning into a new year. And so, well, actually, I can't do this anymore yeah. because look at the effect on me. And it's not that you've been resentful about it. It's like, look at the potential effect of me having to be around people that I would not choose to be around in the company. feels like just saying, go to the fucking bar then, go and have a drink. And then when you're finished and you come back, you might be serious. Yeah, of course. Rather than sitting there talking loudly about how important you are. Mm. Sometimes I'm looking at people and thinking, well, history tells me from what I've learned in recovery, that you carry on doing that, what you're doing, then you will relapse. It doesn't take a behavioural psychologist to see who's most likely to relapse. Mm. I try not to focus on it. When I see people come out of treatment and I think you are a dead man walking, I don't say it. No, I try and engage with those who are clearly trying to do the right things mm. and I don't engage with those that are clearly doing the wrong things. But it takes a long time to learn that. And it took me a while to work out that the people I came through with were fellow passengers to begin with and then became friends. But then some of them always just ended up being fellow passengers and I've lost touch with some of them. I think I always must remember as well, you know, for some reason right at the back somewhere there's like my own recovery as well. I need to make sure that yeah. I'm doing the right thing and yeah. am I concentrating on other people because I'm I don't want to look at myself is there areas that I don't want to look at which is always comes up as well. You know, if I find myself feeling resentful against someone, feel like I'm lacking somewhere apart ah. from in excruciating circumstances like what you said, where it's definitely not your problem but mm. But I've always been told if you're feeling bothered by something, you need to find out what it is that what yeah. you're doing wrong. Mm. Makes sense. Could be a simple thing as you're putting yourself in that situation. Yeah. You know, you know what this is likely to happen in this little outing, yet you still put yourself in that situation. So that's my part. I always find it quite difficult to look at what I'm going to do in the new year. If I'm at a point where I think actually I'm okay with what I'm doing now. But I don't want to be making some resolution I can't keep. Mm -hmm. And it's very important for me not to be unrealistic. 
If I said, right, uh, I'm going to go back to work in September, that's absurd. But if I said, I'm going to work towards the idea of going back to work, which yeah. is what I intend to do, then that is a resolution for me. And I may or may not get there. I'm not assuming, oh yeah, I'll do this and do this and do this and jump through these hoops and then wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, suddenly I'll be there doing exactly what I decided I was going to do. Because nothing's definite like that. But one of the things I always say is that I'm going to maintain what I've got. Yes, of course. Because I've got to maintain what I've got because otherwise there won't be anything else. Of course. Because if I don't do the things that I need to do in order to maintain what I have, I will lose what I have. In the brief edit I did with the two people that aren't normally on the podcast who came up to record with me in front of the cameras because the news were here. Did you see them, Ronnie? The news were here. No, I didn't. I heard. I've been filmed this morning. There's another little tiny resentment I had as well with that. Why didn't I get asked to speak on the news? I told them that you two would be here to record at 12 and they said, oh no, we'll be gone before then. So clearly they wanted to just record me. And it was just... All over in a flash, it's like Anthony just said, oh, do you want to be recording? I said, oh, all right then. Well, I <laughs> I'm not bothered. That, that, that I heard of other people that was picked specifically to do the recording. There was people, so I know of two people that was picked. And I thought, hang on a minute, why didn't I get picked? Yeah. But it was a fleeting thought, and I thought, you know what, I've done this before. And I'm so well, bad. I didn't even think about that, because I just ended up with these two people in with me, and I just blathered on like I normally do. It was that a video I mean. of the podcast. And while it wasn't actually the genuine attendees, it often happens in television that that's what you end up doing. Because yeah. if they'd come on a Thursday morning, it would have been just me. And we'd have had to grab a couple of people out of aftercase. And I remember doing it with stuff we had to do at school, if we were doing a brochure or anything like that. It mm-hmm. was about who was physically available. It wasn't necessarily about mm-hmm. booking things yeah. and, and choosing people. It might be because they were going to be here today anyway. It was only a brief one, and I think it was because of the particular people that was telling me that it was them that got picked. And I'm like, mm, why are you telling me that for? Why do you tell me that? Why did you get picked and not me? Mm. Yeah. What is it you're doing? What is it I'm doing? What is it that doesn't work? Yeah, I should be on. But I think the biggest thing for me in terms of going into a new year is to not forget where I was and that I actually have another new year. Okay, it's quite a few years I've got now, but it's it's another new year and there are all sorts of things I might do in this space age, 2024, futuristic nightmare. Mm. Because when I was a kid, that's what it was. 2024 was next century, miles away. Dear God, we'll all be on hoverboards and in space suits and bouncing around on Mars. Well, I think we've maxed out the population of the planet now, and I think the aliens are going to definitely come this year and just sort that problem out. Yeah, they'll come pick me up. I think this year for me, it's elements of what you said, Rich. It's maintaining what I've got Yeah. one day at a time. I think in February it'll be nine years, and then I'm 40 in April. So that seems like a bit of a milestone age, yeah. and... I've got a few things I'd like to do, like in the early part of the year, I know there's a couple of medical things popping off mm-hmm. that I need to get tested and, and resolved or maybe make a change to diet and exercise. And then I've kind of started a new relationship and it, it feels really meaningful. I've maybe had that eureka moment and met that person, so maybe start moving towards some sort of meaningful commitment. That would be nice this year, because I always envisioned at 40 that, you know, I'd 
kind of be settled down with kids and all that stuff and I, I, I've never got there on either count so it would be nice to start moving towards that and maybe finally growing up a bit my inner Peter Pan maybe realising that I'm 14 I've got to start kind of yeah growing up a bit and doing some sensible adult stuff oh dear that makes me feel very old and childlike <laughs> you'll never catch up the clock of your emotional growth never we stunted that for many years it sounds to me like you've got the ideal way to negotiate being 40 and turn it into something meaningful yeah it's quite significant as well because I entered into recovery towards the end of my 30th year so 30 always rings as a bit of a milestone of when I was 30 I got recovery and we've kind of done all that early stuff and the early challenges of recovery and now it's about building a foundation for the rest yeah. of my days however long that may be do you know what I mean I'm feeling quite reflective and progressive yeah but essentially it seems like a contradiction because obviously as addicts we have to take things one day at a time so the idea of thinking like later on this year I'm going to do that can be a bit of a contradictory outlook oh definitely yeah mm. I think as long as you realise that yeah. and which I'm pretty sure you do that yeah. without your recovery nothing else matters exactly, exactly like you're still going to be yeah. doing the same I believe the same input mm. every day probably a bit more subconsciously but you'll still be doing that work it's just become ingrained and probably you won't even notice yourself doing it yeah exactly and then you've just got the breathing space to be able to add do you think that the very nature of being in recovery over time at New Year or whenever winter solstice if we want to be druid that we can gradually just add things to our portfolio as yeah. it were yeah. and that realistically we can move on to whatever the next thing is and I think that's an integral part of what we do can I just share one thing I always do now in recovery and I've done it since the first New Year's Eve is I stay in I have a Chinese takeaway I watch Jules Holland's <laughs> Little Nanny and then I make two lists on A3 paper. List one, things that I am grateful for from this year mm. that have happened to me, that I've overcome, people I've had in my life, people that have come into my life. And then the second list is things that I would like to achieve this coming year. And then I have those lists, I pin them on my wall, so I see them every morning and I, I try and manifest towards them for the rest of the year. And that is a much better way to spend New Year's Eve than how I used to. Because New Year's Eve used to last for about three days when I was in addiction. It would just be a, a bender. For me, this new year will actually involve just staying in cooking and watching Jules Holland. And I think in terms of a list, I'm a bugger for checklist and lists about checklists and lists about lists and ists and ists. But I'm more likely to do that on New Year's Day morning because I've no longer got this thing about getting shit-faced and standing vaguely in the circle and singing a song that has never really meant a great deal apart from the fact that, oh, great, I'm pissed somewhere. I don't know where I am. <laughs> and this is all about New Year. New Year where? Which country am I New in? New Year, beautiful. Where's the next pill? It's New Year, great. I hope the drinks haven't gone up in price just after midnight. They've been... What do you mean I've got to pay twice as much now it's after midnight? Yeah. What's the difference? I don't care if it's a new year. What do you mean you're closing the bar for 10 minutes so you stuff? Perfect time to have a line in the box because we're all standing in the circle singing hallelujah. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
It's we'll not the Cubs, Ronnie. We'll get three points in the quarter twelve because you know the bar's not open against us. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Michael it. Rowe, the boat was short. <laughs> Come by our. Come by our. What we went to be singing. Old Lang Syne, you muppet. I know. Then again, I mean, I think of the number of New Years I just can't remember. And the number of Christmases that have been difficult, and then when I've looked at it in reality, I was like, it doesn't matter what anyone else did. I've still got to look at what I did. The other thing about having a new year and being sober around it is that it's actually something to look forward to. And even though I'm still struggling to get my head around the number, because it seems so absurd, yeah. these are numbers that I remember as a kid being so far away that you'd never reach them. And once I've got my head around that, it's more about what am I going to be able to do this year that I wasn't able to do last year? What am I going to be able to do? Not, oh shit, not again, which is the way it used to be. Mm-hmm. And even in early recovery, there was part of me thinking, oh, it's all going to be the same, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But once I got sort of three or four years, it was, okay, world's opening up now. Yeah, of course. Which is very different to, oh God, not this again. Because my natural wiring is, oh God, not this again. My natural approach to festivities, even in recovery, is, oh, for fuck's sake, I'm not going anywhere near that. People celebrating, people smiling, yeah. people being nice to each other, fuck off. I'm a natural Scrooge. However, I will do my best. So I have to make some attempt. That said, I still can't go in anywhere near that Christmas market. One of my golden rules has been, since the first time I went, when I first moved to Birmingham, is that I would not go into central Birmingham from the end of November until the middle of January. Mm-hmm. And I've stuck to that. The only time I will go into central Birmingham during that period is to get a train yeah. to go up north and to get a train back. I thought you said a crane then. Yeah. What are you going to do with a crane? Yeah, I'm going to get a crane. Down. No, I need a particular type of bird. <laughs> particularly to take home this Christmas I must admit I went to the cinema last Saturday evening for like uh, an 8 o'clock showing mm. and I had to cut through the German market because it was the opening yeah. on New Street and it was absolute carnage and I was yeah. I was looking and I was like imagine still being out there and addiction was part how horrendous would that be I'm so glad that I've never actually had that and I think it's quite logical and sensible to not want to go into central Birmingham while all that's going on. Because how could you possibly take a reasonable approach to Christmas shopping in the middle of that? I would end up just going into the first shop and thinking, oh, that'll do, just so I could get out. Yeah. Well, I've done all my money, I'm sorry. And was that one of them? Oh, yeah, he said so, yeah. I was doing the booths for me family days. Right, with that, gentlemen, we have exhausted the full allocation. If you've heard anything that's resonated with you, with someone you know and love, or with someone you haven't, then do seek help. There's plenty out there. Google it. Google addiction, addiction services, alcohol, alcoholism, alcoholics anonymous, narcotics anonymous, cocaine anonymous. There are all sorts of recovery services out there. There are all sorts of rehabs. Do not suffer in silence. We are back at recovery and we are on Facebook.